0: You are listening to The Archivist. I'm Jana, and I'm dedicated to preserving the details of crimes that are committed and lives that are lost. This is The Archivist. Welcome back to The Archivist. This episode is a little bit shorter than what my normal regular length episodes are and it may be that way for the rest of the summer since baseball season has descended upon us. I have a son who plays on a travel baseball team and now we are traveling on the weekends to other areas for tournaments and so that's going to take up a little bit of my extra time that I have but I am going to continue to bring you weekly content so don't fear I'm staying around just maybe the episodes may be a little bit shorter so this is the neighbor from hell and so you decide to buy a house for your family you go on the hunt for the perfect house and you find it you go through all the paperwork and the red tape and complete the purchase you move in and you meet your neighbors You are confident that this is going to be great. They are kind and funny and friendly. And bonus, they have kids the same age as yours. Score. But then, that nightmare begins. And by the end of it, someone is dead. That is a neighbor from hell, for sure. I'm lucky. I live in a neighborhood where all of our neighbors get along pretty well. There's lots of kids in our neighborhood and even just on our street. And so my son has lots of little ones that he can also play with. They, you know, they play basketball together. They ride bikes together. They play tag and they run around in the yards. And even the couples that don't have like young kids or kids at all, all seem to really watch out for all the kids and they really love it. And there's never been an incident where, you know, somebody's feelings have gotten hurt by something. And it's, you know, it's really ideal. But the Cantrell family did not experience that idealist, idealism. I don't know what I want to say. They did not live that ideal. So in early 2004, Kenneth Cantrell, who is affectionately called Rooster by his friends and family, moves into a home in Pegram, Tennessee. This is a small town in the northern part of Tennessee, and there's about 2000 people that live in this town. But the area is nice and it has good schools and Kenneth has his wife Tasha and their three boys who are Nate, Zach, and Troy and they all move into this new house. Kenneth works construction and Tasha is a stay-at-home mom and this family is just really excited to put roots down in Pegram. Tasha is a very hands-on mom. She loves spending time playing in the yard with her boys, and she's just really appreciative that Kenneth has provided for her to be able to stay home. And on the day that they move into this new house, they are greeted by another family that lives, it's a cul-de-sac, so it they're next-door neighbors, but they're kind of essentially across the street. And this family is... Chris Kennedy, his wife Jillian, which she goes by Jill. And then they also have three sons, Eric, Evan, and Eli. And this felt like a, gr- a start of the great friendship because these boys are all very close in age. They're just about the same age, 10, 11, 8, 9, 4, and 5. So they're really close to the same ages. Chris and Jillian had moved to Tennessee from Connecticut. Chris was worked as a fireman, and he also had, like, he was a musician, so he also, like, played in a band on, on the side. And Jillian was also a stay-at-home mom. And the day that they're moving in, Jillian even very kindly offers to Tasha and Rooster that their boys can come over and play with her boys in their yard while they're moving everything in, which is a great great help i mean your kids are out of your hair and you can get a lot more work done so that you know just everything seemed like it was going to be really great however what tasha did not know is that jillian was quote unquote the queen bee of the neighborhood and she expected everyone to act according to her rules and her expectations. Jillian really loved the neighborhood that her and Chris had chosen, so much so that she convinced her parents to move into a house that's just a few streets over. And she also really worked hard to forge friendships with the other families on the road. Jillian was really trying to forge a new friendship with Tasha and, you know, she was sharing new things with her. She had you know let her know that she had at one point been a daycare worker but now she was a stay-at-home mom and she was really focused on starting on the right foot with Tasha but cracks in this new relationship really began to show very early. The first indication to Tasha that there might be trouble happened when Jill had a confrontation with Tasha's oldest son Nate there was an episode of a show on ID Network called Fear Thy Neighbor. And on this show that they did over this case, they reenacted Jill shouting at a group of boys and telling them to leave her son alone. So there was a group of neighborhood kids playing football, and Nate had picked up the ball, and then one of Jill's sons tried to take it away from him. When Jill saw this, she shouted at the group, And then as the fighting continued, Jill told Tasha that she needed to control her son. That's your first uh uh uh-oh, uh-oh. So that, I feel like you can hear the glass shattering inside Tasha's head. And after this, Tasha began to notice how controlling Jill would be with her kids. She would usher them into the house If it was lunchtime or bedtime or whatever. And she was kind of somewhat overprotective of her kids. If anybody was doing anything that looked slightly dangerous, she would, you know, tell them that they had to stop. And she also would not, she would only put the blame on everyone else and never her own child. And I'm not saying that Jill's boys were deliberately hurting other kids. That is not the situation here. But It was a thing where, you know like this football situation where her son tried to take the ball away from somebody that already had it and instead of saying to her son he had the ball first it was your son needs to be under control and give the ball to my son. So that was one of the real issues that even other mothers on the road had with Jill. Now I'm going to admit something it's a deep dark secret of mine. I'm a teeny bit of a helicopter mom. Uh, It took me a long time to get my son and I just really felt like I needed to protect him. And, you know, I realize that's my own deal. It's nobody else's, but she was way over the top with this helicopter momming, and she was, she was the extreme. So my friends and I, I don't know if any of you have this situation. My friends and I have an understanding about discipline, disciplining each other's children and This is really when they were little. Our kids are teenagers now, so it's a little different. But basically, I always felt like if you saw my kid doing something wrong, I don't have a problem with you telling them to stop. And thankfully, my friends are not psychopaths. And I knew that I could trust them not to be over the top or to take things too far But I think that this new relationship between Tasha and Jill, they don't know each other's boundaries yet. So it seems a little weird for Jill to take control of Tasha's kids like that. And Tasha was very uncomfortable with it, especially since she was parenting Tasha's children in a way that Tasha does not also parent them. You know, Tasha was out there with her kids, playing with them. She didn't mind a little bit of rough housing, you know, they're boys. And I know we all hate the statement, boys will be boys, but there is a there is something with boys. They love to wrestle and, and run around and throw each other around in the yard. And I'm making it sound way worse than it is, but a little rough housing is fine. Jill did not share that opinion. If you would like to see pictures from this episode, please visit our website, thearchivistpodcast.com. I always post pictures and important links, as well as listing all the sources for each episode. That's thearchivistpodcast.com. After the football incident, another weird situation happened a few days later when Jill knocked on Tasha's front door unexpectedly. When Tasha answered, Jill asked if she could go to her house and watch her youngest son while she went to the store for a couple hours. And Tasha said they'd only known each other about a week at this time, and she did not feel comfortable being in a stranger's house and watching their young child. Jill was mad at this rejection and she accuses the other moms in the neighborhood of spreading rumors about her. And Tasha is shocked by this statement because she hadn't even talked to anybody else in the neighborhood. And she, she said, I haven't met any of the other mothers and you're always around. So I don't know what you're talking about. Tasha felt a sense that something bad was going to happen at this point. She She said she just She and Rooster were really the type to keep to themselves and figure out how people were on their own, and she did not like hearing rumors from the grapevine, and she felt like Jill was kind of forcing her to find out what other people were saying about her. A few weeks later, Tasha got to see firsthand why the other moms kept their distance from Jill. This is after school has let out for the summer, and at 6 p.m., Jill stepped out onto her French port front porch and blew a whistle telling all the kids not just her kids all of the neighborhood kids that they had to go to bed it was time to go in and go to bed and Tasha was shocked she's like it's still daylight out the kids aren't in school anymore it's nice night but she watched as all the other moms came and got their kids and ushered them back into their houses and Tasha later found out that they just complied with Jill's wishes to keep the pe- the peace because she would call the police on them if their kids were outside after 6 o'clock. And I, I'm sorry, but no. No to that. No to playing by someone else's roles. No to anyone who thinks that they can tell me what to do based on their opinion. And this is where Tasha tried to stand her ground and let kids play outside like she wanted them to. She told Jill she didn't need to be told how to raise her sons and that she wanted them or they wanted to stay outside and she was okay with it. They were allowed to stay outside. Jill started to have lots of problems with the Cantrells at this point. She did not like the freedom that they gave their children. And one day after this, other incident when all of the kids were outside playing and riding their bikes. So remember, this is a cul-de-sac. So they're, you know, they're riding up and down the road into the cul-de-sac. And so she calls the cops to report roughhousing and the kids not wearing their helmets. And the cops did have to come out and talk to them, but nothing was really done. They didn't give them a citation. They just said, you know, it's a safety situation. Please have a helmet on your kid when they ride their bike. Now, Tasha is a tiny little thing. She's, you know, maybe five foot two, five foot three, little girl, she's a little tiny thing, but she is a feisty. And she just was not going to stand for this. And she told Jill that she was not able to parent her boys without scaring them. And Tasha shouted across the street to her and called her an idiot. Now, this probably is not the best move, but I definitely can understand her being like fired up or even fed up with this woman controlling everybody. And here they had just moved into their dream home and they wanted to raise their children in peace. And they actually picked that property because of how it was stationed, you know, on this cul-de-sac where they felt like this is where our kids can play and we can raise our children in peace here. But Jill could not let it go. And she started forbidding her boys from playing with the Cantrells. This is all within a few weeks of this family moving into this house. This is not over a long period of time. Now, Tasha says that her and Rooster tried to form their own opinions. Like I mentioned before, they didn't want to listen to rumors. But at this point, other neighbors begin to tell Tasha some of the rumors about Jill. And one of the rumors, I don't know if it's true or not, said that she had actually been fired from her job at the daycare. Again, I don't know if this is true or not. But Jill took every opportunity to make things difficult for all of the kids. So it was easy to believe if their ball landed in the Kennedy's yard, she would keep it. She would not give it back to the kids. And one neighbor had put up a basketball hoop in the cul-de-sac and she forbid her kids from using it. And Jill tried to say that she was only worried about the safety of the kids and that a car could come and hit one of them. But again, this is a cul-de-sac, a dead end. There's no outlet. A car driving down that would not randomly drive down that road. And even if they did, the kids would see it. And again, we're not talking about littles. We're not talking about three and four-year-olds. We're talking about 10, 11, maybe as young as eight. But honestly, it it's it boggles my mind for her to be like, oh, a car could come and hit them. If cars going to come down that cul-de-sac, they're going to see it. It. I just, I don't understand. So the basketball goal at the end of the street really started to make a lot of problems for everybody on the street. One confrontation with Jill came when she came out of her house and tried to take the basketball away from one of the neighbor kids, a kid named Paul. And she, he, she shouted at him and he said, shut up you pig, which like just double shocked her and she just could not believe that a kid would talk to her that way. And Jill came back with, don't call me that you miserable brat. So wow, you're very mature Jill. And then Chris, her husband steps in and told the kids to go home as he was escorting Jill away from the kids to go back into their house. He chucks the ball like really hard at Paul and it hits him and knocks him down. And when Jill sees this, she shouts back at the mother, this is what you are teaching your kids. So I don't get why she was thinking that, you know, her husband knocking a child down is what the other mothers are teaching their kids. But of course, all the other moms are standing on the street watching this confrontation and Tasha's there and she says, what did you do? you are teaching your kids this. Whatever this is, it's on you. And Tasha's boldness actually makes it easier for the other moms to begin to stand up for their kids and fight back against Jill. Later that night, after 1 a.m., Jill, her mom, and her husband, Chris, dressed in all black, and they go outside and take the basketball goal down. Now, remember, this is not their This is not their basketball goal and it is not on their property. They begin loading it into the back of their truck, Chris's truck. But before they get it secured and can drive off, a neighbor returning home from work catches them. You know, obviously he turns onto the road and his headlights light them up and he sees what they are doing. And so he makes sure that they put the basketball goal back. And that rumor went, I mean, it's not even a rumor. That story went around like wildfire. The, all of the neighborhood knew about it. A few days later, the Kennedy home is shot up with paintballs. They, in the middle of the night, two kids had snuck onto their property and shot up like their windows and stuff with with paintballs. And, you know, they were scared. And I can understand them being scared because you're hearing this stuff hit your house. And I'm sure it wasn't quiet. I'm sure it was loud. So they then install cameras all around their property. And the Kennedys basically felt like they're just protecting their home. But the Cantrells felt that these cameras are placed in a way to view their house and see what they are doing. And I know the Cantrells felt violated, but I think that this is kind of a muddy issue. The Kennedys, house was attacked and they have every right to install cameras and you can't really be sure what they are recording without seeing the feed so i really don't think that the cantrells had the right to say you can't have those cameras and you need to take them down after the whole basketball goal paintball incidents and the blow up over the cameras Jill and her mother June begin driving around the neighborhood with a video camera videoing the kids and basically they're trying to say that they're trying to catch these kids doing unsafe actions that they're then going to report to the police and again Kenneth confronted Jill and told her to stop recording his kids this I think is a violation and I think that he definitely had the right to tell her that she should not be recording his kids she however was hoping that the video cameras would dissuade him from escalating the situation that you know knowing that it was going to be caught on tape that they would leave her alone a few days later a kid with a bb gun shot at jill's mother and hit her in the back of her leg as jill and her husband are tending to her mother Her father runs out into the middle of the road with a loaded pistol and threatens all of the neighbors. Everyone immediately runs inside to take cover. I don't really think that this is the right move. So at this point, Tasha and Kenneth begin to explore their legal options. They started a petition and they got over 200 signatures. This resulted in a town hall meeting where the sheriff attended, and they presented their desires to make the Kennedys move. But since the Kennedys hadn't broken any laws, there was nothing that the city could do. Jill confronted Tasha as she left the town hall meeting, and it got a little bit heated. Kenneth was upset after this meeting, and he followed the Kennedys home very closely, almost like they were in a car chase. And... Jill and Chris were, you know, scared, and I'm using quotes around scared, so much because he was following them that they called 911. Keep in mind, they're neighbors. They're pro- they could just be going home. Anyway, when they get there, the police arrive, and Jill says that they were scared for their lives, and Ken is given a reckless driving cit- citation over this incident. So this situation is not getting better. It's continuing to escalate and get worse. One day, a few days later, after this town hall thing, in a fit of rage, Jill starts shouting insults at Tasha, who then responds to her, I think you are a Jenny Craig reject. Um, LOL, but (laughs) this is probably not the best comeback. And it's really mean to pick on someone's appearance, but I'm still laughing about it. Jill then said to Tasha that she was just mad that her tits weren't as big as hers. And then she took off her shirt and bra and exposed herself and shook a, shook her chest, her boobs, in front of Tasha and all of the kids that were playing in the street. Again, probably not the best move. This is getting a little petty. And... I don't know why the police were not called for this, because that is indecent exposure, and that is a crime. But for what it's worth, Jill also says that this did not happen. But when Kenneth heard about Jill flashing his children, he ran out into the yard and he yelled at Chris to keep his wife in line. Chris then told Kenny or Rooster to come over and fight him, and Tasha was screaming at Rooster to stop, but he didn't he crossed the line literally the line into the kennedy yard and the two fathers begin pushing and shoving each other until chris falls backwards and then ken jumps on him and they're literally having a fist fight jill at this point comes out of their house with a mossberg 12 gauge shotgun and as the men are fighting jill takes aim and fires the gun and this shot goes through her husband's hand into Ken's chest. As Tasha ran toward Ken, Jill levels the shotgun and refuses to let anyone give aid to Kenneth or Rooster. This is the most heinous act. That's the problem that I have. I, when, no matter what she says, her not allowing him to get help is a problem for me. Tasha had to stand and watch as her husband struggled for breath and by the time that the police arrived ken passed away ken had already passed away so the cops told jill to put down the shotgun and she then complied but tasha was so overcome with grief after discovering that ken had died she grabs a baseball bat that was laying in the yard and she runs over and she smashes all the windows and mirrors on the kennedy's car and tasha did also get in arrested but she says that she felt like it was worth it because they had taken her husband. Jill was also arrested and charged with capital murder, which in Tennessee is a death penalty charge. But Tennessee also has a castle doctrine law, which is, this is how their law actually reads. It says deadly force is legal when used to defend oneself when they believe that there is a threat of immediate death or serious bodily injury. This belief must be founded on reasonable grounds. There is no duty to retreat from anywhere that the person has the right to be. So, due to the fact that the physical altercation happened on the Kennedy property, Jill had the right to defend her husband. Now, keep in mind, she testifies in her court trial that the gun went off by accident and that she didn't mean to shoot Ken. She only wanted to scare him. Unfortunately, this gray area of this Castle Doctrine law means that her trial ends in a hung jury. The jurors just could not come to a consensus, and because of that, prosecutors decided not to try her again. Again, for what it's worth, the police landed firmly on the Kennedy side. They say that the Cantrells began causing problems almost as soon as they moved into their house. Jill and Chris did end up selling their home and leaving Pegram in 2005, and Tasha Cantrell also sold her home and moved away from Pegram. Here's hoping that your neighbors do not come from hell. If you would like to suggest a case or you have any questions or comments, you can email us at contact at archivistpodcast.com. You can also visit our website, thearchivistpodcast.com, where you can see pictures, read show notes, see our sources, and also find links for our other episodes. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Bye.